Well, good morning, Westridge. How's everybody? Good. I'll try not to ruin that. Um, It is Mother's Day, and I want to start by saying Happy Mother's Day to all of you moms and grandmothers and stepmothers and mothers-to-be who are out there this morning. And uh, that's just as much of a Happy Mother's Day to you and a warning to dads who forgot. Don't give yourselves away. We are in a series called Home is What You Make It, and today we are focusing on parenting, and uh, parent-child dedication is today, so special welcome to family members and friends who are here today to support those families. Uh, We're glad that you are here. I gave my first talk on parenting 30 years ago, when I was 24 years old, and full of wisdom. I was full of something. Um, Connie and I had one child, and we had another one on the way. And recently, from one of our family members, a picture of us surfaced on Facebook around that time. Isn't that awesome? Connie wasn't pregnant at that point. Um, I had hair. My son also said I had a belt buckle large enough for a family to toboggan on. Um, I've since sold it for scrap metal. Um, I am now 54, and 30 years post that first talk on parenting. I think in that first talk, I did something like five or seven steps to being a perfect parent. Yeah. Um, It might as well have been 70 for as helpful as it was. Uh, I may not know a lot more than I did then, but I do know enough to be less formulaic about parenting. If you look through the pages of Scripture, what you'll find there is a slice of real life when it comes to parenting. You'll find great families in the Bible, families that had great things happening to them. If you look at their finances, they were up and to the right. Their relationships were great. Their marriages were great. They had great children who were healthy and happy. But read on, Uh, because you'll also find those great families also had all kinds of bad things happening. You'll find that in their family, they had crimes happening that deserved hard time, that they had relational trouble, that uh, they had rebellious kids, and they had marital problems. You find a slice of real life when it comes to parenting in the Bible, and the Bible is very realistic about the challenges of parenting, and it teaches us some very good lessons, a few of which that I want to talk about this morning. The first is this, that even at its best, parenting is going to be messy, right? I hear some laughter out there. You're with me on this. Uh, If you have lived an orderly, well-planned out, well-executed life prior to having your first child, get ready. (laughs) Some changes are coming to a lot of aspects to your life that is well-ordered. It doesn't mean they're all bad changes. It just means the changes are coming. You need to get flexible, or you need to get prescription medication, (laughs) or both. Uh, I found it helpful as a parent, and even as a grandparent, to adopt some new guidelines to your life when children happen, to help with the messiness of life. So let me share a a few of those with you. Uh, Number one, always, and I mean always, Check the pockets before doing a load of laundry. Yes, I do laundry at our house. Don't try to take my man card. If you don't check the pockets, you may find a red crayon or a packet of bubble gum or worse yet, 
a toad <laughs> in the washing machine, or worse yet, the dryer. Second, always use extreme caution when approaching a random stray raisin on the floor. Yes, it may be a small dried fruit, but it's also dangerously similar in size, color, and consistency to something that can fall out of a child's diaper. And you do not want to squish that between your fingers. Three, teaching a two-year-old to finger paint taps into their creativity, and it can be a wonderful creative experience. It can also have dire consequences later if you fail to change their diaper quickly. A creative child, an artistic child, will connect the dots between those two experiences and explore new artistic mediums. I'm just saying it took a long... You're with me. I'm just saying it took a long time to clean that off our walls and our furniture. Yeah, that was our grandson. Four, school pictures, family portrait sessions, or anything where you have to pay for a photograph usually results in one or more of the following... Your child giving him or herself a last-minute haircut. Your child falling down and scraping their face. Or your child getting a bug bite or bee sting with swelling and allergic reactions. Here's the, here's the guideline. If you have to plan or pay for a photo, someone is going to look their worst. <laughs> Five, whether or not goldfish crackers constitute a reasonable main course for dinner depends on what kind of day you've had. <laughs> Don't judge me. We just had mass confession in church, didn't we? <laughs> and lastly, this is for most of you. There are a few of you who will be offended, and you should be. Shame on you. If your child reads at age four, sits quietly in church, and willingly eats every healthy food you put in front of them, it has much less to do with your parenting skills than you think it does. <laughs> and all God's people said, yeah. Yeah, those are the parents with unruly, rebellious kids <laughs> who are all praying your second child is not like your first. <laughs> Parenting is messy. It does not follow our well-ordered plans. It begins with the diapers and the drool of the baby. And later on, we wish it could only stay that messy. It moves on to the, the terrible twos and the traumatic threes when it seems like the only words our children know are no and why and mine. And then they get to the teen years where they make more messes than they can possibly keep a grip on. And messiness accelerates on a Friday night when we've had a horrible week at work and we're just settling in to watch a movie that we've waited for all week long and our phone starts to light up with text messages. And we look at those messages and they're coming in fragmented thoughts as our teen begins to confess that they've wrecked the car. Or they might be pregnant. And they desperately need us. Saying yes to parenting means saying yes to really messy situations. It means saying yes to hard conversations. It means saying yes to inconvenience. It means saying yes to shifting priorities. It means saying yes to loving your kids in the hard times and the good times and extending grace to everything in between. The second lesson 
that the Bible teaches us about parenting is that as parents, we have to constantly check our heart. In Deuteronomy 6, we find Moses, by this point a very old man, giving his farewell address to the nation of Israel before he dies. It's a pretty monumental occasion. Think about it. You're Moses. You've led the nation of Israel for decades through some really rough times. You're standing before this entire nation saying farewell, leaving them with a final charge. What do you want to say? He chooses for his final words, for the opening of them, to address spirituality in the family. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commands that I'm going to give you today are to be upon your hearts. With those words, Moses summarizes the essence of the Jewish faith. Jesus, in his ministry, was asked at one point, what is the greatest command? And he points to this passage and says, that's the greatest command. And the second is this, love your neighbor like you love yourself. Jesus says it's not just an Old Testament thing. It's just not a Jewish thing. It's a gospel thing. Love God and love others. Moses says, this, this is to be on your heart. A literal translation of the text would say, love God with a double heart. Take whatever looks like full devotion in your life and double it. That's how much you need to love God. It's an all-in commitment. Nothing held back. As parents... I think that's the greatest gift we can give our kids is for us to be fully committed to genuinely loving God and let that affect everything that we do in our lives, every circumstance. Now, we're not going to be perfect at it. We're not. Our kids know we're not perfect, right? I mean, if you need verification of that, just ask them on the way home today. My kids were always ready to validate the fact that I wasn't perfect. Yours are too. They just need us to model an authentic, growing life in Christ. And when we do that, the passage goes on to say it gives us credibility to talk with them about their relationship with God. Moses says, impress these things on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home. When you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Now, impress doesn't mean drill it into them, beat that into them, this idea of loving God and loving others. It's not a license to be obnoxious or overbearing with our faith. It just simply means be intentional. Find the right time and the right ways to talk with each one of our kids about God. There are times that they want to talk. They want to talk about sports. They want to talk about school. They want to talk about their friends. And I am convinced there are times that our kids are open to talking about God. And to be fair, there are times our kids don't want to talk at all. Being a godly parent is about finding those windows of opportunity where we can bring up the conversation about God. Notice the pairings in this verse. Moses pairs things 
in order to point us to those natural rhythms of life. Times when you're walking, times when you're sitting, times when you're working, times when you're resting. Those are all opportunities to have conversations about faith with our kids. And we all have rhythms in our life, right? Things that we do naturally, habits, rhythms in our life. Things we do over and over again. Think about it. There are dozens of little rhythms in your life and in your family. Things you do in the course of every day, in the course of your week, just to get things done. Your kids getting ready for school in the morning, coming home at night, having a family meal a few times a week, getting ready for bed in the evening. There are those rhythms in the course of your week. You have rhythms in the weekend. You have rhythms over holidays and vacations. And if we pay attention, those rhythms that happen consistently present us with opportunities for conversations about God. When you're riding in the car, eating a meal, working on a project, whenever you get together in a situation with your kids, watch for those opportunities to come up naturally. My wife, Connie, was great at this with our kids. One of the things she did as our kids got into junior high and high school was she would watch for them getting ready at bed at night to just be unsettled. You know, they just couldn't quite settle down, go to sleep. She would just stay up. She's an owl anyway. I'm not. I mean, my lights go off about nine o'clock. I don't have significant conversations after nine (laughs) o'clock. She'd watch for the kids to be restless and she would just hang around just on the chance that they couldn't go to sleep. And they would drift down, and they'd sit down, and they'd talk, sometimes till 1 or 2 in the morning. I don't know how anything productive happens at that hour of the day. But they had great conversations. Just those rhythms that she watched for. And it doesn't have to be those lengthy conversations. Sometimes you can just drop in seeds of faith with a thought. We'd be driving them to school or driving home from one of their activities in the evening. Notice a sunset and just comment on how it looked like God had just done a masterpiece painting in the sky. Flowers in spring are all God's creativity. A fresh fall in snow in winter reminds us of God's grace covering all of the ugliness of our sin. And those little interjected thoughts, those conversations that happen in the natural rhythms of life can pay great dividends later on when your kids are more open to longer conversations. My son invited me and my wallet to go on a cross-country road trip. (laughs) You got it. Between his junior and senior year of college, he was in school in California, so I flew to Vegas and... (laughs) We then went on a a six-day, 2,500-mile road trip from Vegas to Chicago, and we wove all over the U.S. In the middle of that, we saw three national parks. One of those days, we hiked to Angel's Landing. It was the highest point in Zion National Park in Utah. Later on, we found out uh, that we had hiked to the highest sandstone cliff in the world. It felt pretty good after we hiked there. All through that 2,500-mile journey, we were able to have conversations about the creativity of God and how he created these vastly different scenes just within our country, all for our enjoyment. And we were able to have conversations about his faith journey that had been really rough 
over the, pre- the three previous years. Those conversations early because we paid attention to our heart and his heart happened to lead to later on deeper conversations about his life and faith. Lastly, I think it's important that we learn to love the children God created for us. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16, tell us that God carefully created each one of our children in their mother's wombs. He knew our kids, the color of their eyes, the color of their hair. He knew their personality, what would make them happy, what would make them sad. He knew every day of their life what it would be like before they took their first breath. And I've learned to love the kids that God created for my wife and I. I've learned to love them. It took me a long time to understand that they don't have to be anyone other than who God created them to be. They don't have to match up to anybody's expectations for them. They don't have to fit into any mold or picture of who they ought to be other than God's. And that includes my expectations of them my wishes, my hopes for their future. My daughter is an organizational genius. And as a result, she's always had a very clear sense of how things ought to be and how they ought to work and how they ought to run. And that includes our family. From age two, she has been trying to get our family organized. (laughs) True story. I think it was around age 10 or 12 that I looked at her and said, I hate packing the family van for vacation. The job is yours. (laughs) You would have thought I'd handed her $1,000. She just got giddy. She carried all the luggage out. She packed the van, and it was better than any packing job I had ever done. And she was proud. She's an organizational genius. It started there, and it's just mushroomed. They moved to their church in California in November. She's already been spotted by the senior pastor and moved out of the role that she took on when she went there and being moved into the executive pastor role in the church. She's an organizational genius. My son, not so much. His room growing up always looked like an F4 tornado went through it. He is, however, a creative genius. What he can do with pictures and video is stunning. He can be in a situation and capture the emotion of a moment in a way that will take your breath away. Even though you weren't there. Even though you don't know the people. It's incredible. God gives each one of our kids special gifts and talents. It is our job as a parent to love them, to nurture them to guide them, to help them unwrap the gifts and talents God has given them and become the unique person God created them to be. And as they unwrap that potential, there are a million decisions that they have to make. Some of them are big ones. Some of them are small ones. And I'll be honest, When my kids were making those choices and decisions, I had an opinion on every single one of them. That's how I'm wired. 
I had, cho- I had opinions on their clothing and their careers. I had opinions on tattoos and earrings for both of them. I had opinions on boyfriends and girlfriends and friends in general. I had opinions on where they went to college and that they go to college. But at age 54, and my kids hovering around 30 and reflecting back, there's only a handful of those decisions that really mattered. And at the top of the list are the two that Jesus talked about. Do they love God with all of who they are? And do they love others? And if I could do it over again, I'd spend a lot more time obsessing about those two decisions than all the other ones that I really focused on that didn't matter. I don't envy those of you who are parents today. The sheer number and types of media that are out there mean that you get hit by a constant barrage of well-meaning parenting articles, blogs, tweets, shows, and wisdom from well-meaning people who have stopped yelling, stopped using certain devices, stopped hurrying their kids out the door, stopped eating animal protein, and have thrown out their televisions, have gone range-free, have moved into yurts, have quit their jobs, and now proudly proclaim that they are better people raising better people. And I don't buy it. I think the one truth that can be said about parenting today is this. We are all imperfect parents who were raised by imperfect parents. But, and this is a big but, not being perfect doesn't mean we're a failure. I think all we can do is do our best. Do our best to love God. Do our best to love others, and that includes our kids. And if we do that, I think for the most part, our kids are going to be okay. I always told my kids, you know what? Something's going to help you end up in counseling eventually. It might as well be me. (laughs) And in those times I didn't get it right, there was one verse I clung to, and it was this. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. When your kids really feel loved and when they feel grace from you as their parents, it'll help them believe in a God who does the same. And when they feel that love and grace, it helps them develop this groundedness that lets them take risks, the right risks in their life. And when they take risks, they become fearless because they know their worth isn't based on whether or not they succeed. When they do that, they get launched into a life that's amazing, where they can pursue God with all of His love and all of His grace. And they can really pursue the dream that he planted deep inside of them as as he knit them together in their mother's womb.